uh, your first night. We want to welcome you to Matthias Lot. Matthias Lot is a church that loves God. We love people. We love the fact that we are very quickly running out of chairs at uh, every one of our services, although I, I see some up here that we didn't see before, so that's a good thing. Um, we're also a church that believes that, that we want to be honest about who we are and we want to be honest about our sin and honest about our mistakes and we want you to know that, that we are a church that loves people despite our sin, despite our mistakes. And tonight, if you're here and you're just beginning this journey of seeking what it means to, to follow Christ and you look at your life and you feel like you've made a, a lot of mistakes, welcome to the club. Because every single person here that loves Jesus would say the exact same thing and praise God that we have grace through Jesus Christ. We're going to get started tonight. Let me go ahead and pray and let's begin. God, we, um, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for already showing up, for allowing us to worship you as our sovereign King and as our sovereign Lord. Father, I pray tonight in a very difficult text that you would use me as a vessel, that you would shut me up, shut up my flesh. God, I pray that you would speak through me in a mighty way so that people that are here tonight will see you They'll experience you. They'll savor you. And God, maybe for the first time tonight, for those that don't know you, they'll hear the gospel and they'll be saved. Father, we pray for that, God, and we pray for that unashamedly, knowing that you have called us to preach the gospel to all nations. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 21. And we're going to start in verse 5. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So as we catch up here with the disciples, you remember from last week, they had been standing with Jesus in the temple and he had directed their attention to a woman that was giving her tithe. She was giving her offering. And he said about that woman, although she had only given two copper coins, Jesus said that she had given more than the rich. Because as Mark had correctly said, Jesus not only sees what we give, but Jesus sees, God sees, what we have left. And so now I just imagine Jesus and the disciples continuing on from that moment. And the disciples are walking through the temple and they look up and they begin to marvel at the construction that is going on in the temple. You see, starting in 20 B.C. and going all the way to 63 A.D., there is an 80-year project going on in the temple where Herod the Great is completely expanding, completely um, increasing the size of the temple, making it even bigger and more grand than Solomon had made it back in the Old Testament. And so as the disciples witness this, they are amazed at the construction. And so as they observe the stones, what they would have been observing, and I want to direct y'all's attention back to this curtain behind me. Josephus, a historian, has said about these stones that they would have been about 37 feet long, they would have been about 18 feet high, and they would have been 12 feet deep. Now, our curtain back here behind me, if we had to estimate, it's probably about 35 feet long, so it's not even quite as long as what that one would have been, and it's about let's say 12 feet high. So it's six feet even shorter than what these stones in the temple would have been. Now, I'm not like a, a guy that, that lays stone or brick, but I've got to imagine that that's got to be a pretty big stone to lay, if you know what I mean. Like, that is gigantic. And not only were they huge, but they were a brilliant white. 
And so as people were approaching Jerusalem and as they would see the temple, they would often say that it looked like this beautiful snow-covered mountain. It was beautiful. They're also observing all the gifts that have been donated, the gifts that have been given as offerings to the temple, the golden clusters of grapes and the bronze doors and the beautiful tapestries. As they walk around, they experience all these wonderful things that are happening. Now, as they say that, check out what Jesus says in verse 6. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now you have to imagine the disciples here, after they've been marveling over the things that are made by the hands of man, that like all of a sudden their perceptions about these man-made beauties would have been torn apart. Have you ever had like a man-made perception about something that is created by us that you just thought was perfect and then all of a sudden that was completely torn apart? My parents had decided a few months ago that they needed to buy a new car. Now, if you ever come and talk to me about purchasing a new car, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this is my opinion. This is the the gospel of Jay-Z on purchasing cars. But I would tell you that if you were me, that you should buy a foreign car. Now, if any of your parents work at GM, if you work at GM personally, I apologize. I'm just being honest, okay? Uh, Don't don't key my car when you leave, please. I do drive a Nissan Altima. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But, but seriously, like, that, that's just what I think because I think that those cars are put together well. And so my parents start talking about buying a car and they're telling me these different things that they're going to buy and I'm like, you guys, you've got to buy a Nissan Altima. Like, they're the perfect cars. Nothing ever goes wrong. You should buy one of these cars. So they come over to my house. We get on Craigslist, which is the best place to buy a car. And we start working on finding them a car. We find them an awesome Nissan Altima. I go with them. They buy it. They love it. Three months later, my dad has put $2,000 worth of money into the engine of the car. We found out that the front of the car is actually being held together by bungee cords. Okay? Not a good car. And so now all of a sudden, as I'm recommending like, to people like what cars they should buy, like... My, my ideas have, have changed a little bit. Now, I'm still going to tell you to buy a foreign car, but probably not that make and model. You know what I'm saying? So, as the disciples are, are marveling at this man-made thing, as they look at it, as Jesus speaks these words, he completely picks apart their ideas about the temple. What ends up happening is in 70 AD, there has been a, a rebellious uprising of the Jews in Palestine. And so all of a sudden it sets off these conflicts between the Romans and between the Jews. And early on the Romans, or early on the Jews have some successes. But eventually Rome crushes the Jews. And they crush Jerusalem. So much so that the very end of this battle that has been waging, all of the Jews flood to the temple because they believe that it is the most secure place because of its wonderful structure that they can hide. So they all go in and they're hoping not to be destroyed by the Romans. Of the Romans have the whole temple surrounded. We hear from history that there's a drunk soldier and this soldier haphazardly lights the entire temple on fire. And so the whole temple 
goes up in smoke. All that gold that we had talked about, about being in the temple, what happens is it melts into the crevices of these gigantic stones. And so when the Romans come in and they want to plunder the city, they have to come in and they have to overturn every stone in order to get out all of the gold that is melted into the cracks. And so as Jesus says, not one of these stones is going to be left standing in 70 A.D., some 40 years away from when he's speaking. He is serious. Everything in Jerusalem is going to be annihilated. Everything is going to be destroyed. So let's keep going. What do the disciples say? Verse 7, Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place. Check this out. This is a very, very important verse. I want, to look at, I want you to look at this for a minute. They ask a very important question. They say, when will these things happen? The these things that they're asking is when are the stones going to be overturned? When is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? And then the very next question, what they ask is, Jesus, can you give us a sign? Can you tell us what might happen before these things, which is the destruction of the temple, when are they going to take place? Now, in your Bible, and especially if you're using the NIV, if you look up in your subtitle, it may say something like mine, signs of the end of the age. Something very important that I want you to understand is Luke writes this, he is focusing on, in Jesus' response, what's directly related to the destruction of Jerusalem. If you've read this passage before and you thought that it was all about end times, Luke is not writing here about end times. He is talking especially, specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem. So with that in mind, let's continue on there. Verse 8, he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and on all accounts of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. I know that that was a lot. There is so much here to talk about in this text. In fact, I mean, we could spend the rest of our day until midnight here talking through this. We could go out for fourth meal and come back and spend the rest of the morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a ton of stuff here. But there's a few things especially that I want us to focus on, a few things that I want to extract because I think that they are major things that are happening in these passages. Now, first of all, as we get into this, 
I want to ask you a question. Did you see the signs that Jesus mentions are going to happen before the destruction of the temple? I've made a list. I've made a list of 13 things. If you could put that, Andrew, and check this out. The 13 things that we see happening before the destruction of the temple. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking here to the disciples. And I have put this back in the order of what it would have been. Because you'll see in the mid-verse, Jesus says, but before these things, other things will happen. So I put this in the order of what Jesus speaks it. He looks at the disciples, imagine this, and he says, they will lay hands on you. They will persecute you. Then... Boys, you'll be taken to jail. You will be put on trial before high-ranking officials. You'll be betrayed by your family and by your friends. Some of you will be put to death. Everyone will hate you. Then false prophets will come. There will be wars and there will be fighting. Earthquakes will come. Famines will starve people. Plagues will strike in various places. Fearful events will abound. Now, if you're a disciple in that moment, you know, could you just, like, imagine yourself saying something like, I, Jesus, maybe I shouldn't have asked, you know? Like, maybe I don't want to know the future. And as Jesus goes through this list, there's something that he says that even more so from this list that blows my mind, that causes me to question. If you look back in verse 9, Jesus says, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be what? Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. Jesus, seriously, you just said that people are going to persecute me. They're going to hate me. They're going to put me to death. And you're saying, don't be afraid. How can you say that, Jesus? Sometimes we don't put ourselves in the Scriptures. Sometimes we don't try to imagine the moment. Can you just picture this for a moment? You and I are speaking after the service. I am looking into your eyes and in a moment of very, very much confidence and very much sternness, I look at you and I say, Eric, you're going to walk out of these doors and when you walk out, there is going to be a group of police officers that are going to beat you. And then after they beat you, they're going to throw you in their police car. They're going to drive you to the station. And they're going to begin to accuse you of all these things that you haven't done. You're going to try to call your mom. You're going to try to call your dad. And you're going to find out that they're the ones who betrayed you. And after that, you're going to be put on trial in front of a whole bunch of high-ranking government officials. As you're on trial, your sentence is going to be guilty. They're going to convict you. You're going to get the life sentence. You're going to be put to death. Now, if that isn't bad enough, Eric, after that happens, your mom is going to be killed in an earthquake. Your dad is going to get a plague. And your sister, she's going to starve to death. Can you imagine Jesus saying those things to you? And then in the midst of it, he says, oh, but by the way, don't be afraid. You know, everything's going to be fine. How can Jesus make a statement like that? It all goes back to this verse. Look down with me in verse 18. But not a hair on your head will perish. (laughs) Do you see that? Not a hair on your head will perish. The reason that the disciples can look ahead to the oncoming punishment 
that they are going to experience in Jerusalem, the reason that they can look ahead knowing that they are going to be persecuted, that some of them are going to be killed and not be afraid, is because Jesus says right here, you're my called. You don't need to fear because this life is not the end. It's the very same thing that he said in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, when he said, don't fear those that can hurt your body here. Fear the one that can cast you into hell for all of eternity. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the pain. Don't worry about the suffering that you're going to experience in this life. Because my disciples, my call, my elect, hear me speak love to you. You will not perish. Your eternity is secure. Now, if you wonder what that word perish means, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. And if you don't have your Bibles, the text is going to be up on the screen. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Mark preached a a message a while back on the idea of perishing, but I think it's important to kind of just look at this for a moment and to understand what it means to not perish. Verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. What it means to never perish is not to mean that you won't ever suffer in this life. It doesn't mean that you won't have personal conflict with people. It doesn't mean that somebody that you love dearly is not going to die. What it means to not perish is to mean that after this life is over, that God has given you a place with Him in eternity where you're going to be able to experience His glory and be in His presence for the rest of your life. There is nothing, friends, that is better than that. There is nothing better than the idea that you will never perish. And so as Jesus speaks this over his disciples, he's saying life is going to be hard. It's not going to be about you making a lot of money. It's not going to be about you being healthy for the rest of your life. It is going to be difficult. There's going to be days where you want to give up. There's going to be days when you want to throw in the towel. There's going to be days when you see your best friend go through the most deepest possible pain. But you can take hope. In situations right now, like where Jake is in the hospital and she's fighting for her life, we can walk in and we can take hope that even if God chooses to take her, which we don't believe that he will, we're praying for her, but even if she won't perish, praise God. So, now with the understanding that we will not perish if you know Christ and you've been saved by him, the next question that I would be asking, that I would be wrestling through, is how do I know that I am one of his sheep? You know what I'm saying? Because I want some of that. I don't want to be separated from God the rest of my life. I want to be in his presence. Now, that's another very, very important question. And I think that as we go on, Jesus answers it in his very next statement. If you look at verse 19... By standing firm, you will gain your life. This is an incredibly important 
part of this passage. If you look in the parallels in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, and Mark chapter 13, verse 13, don't turn there, but just look up on the screen for a minute. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. As I hear Jesus speaking this, what I hear him saying is don't lose heart on the most difficult day, but continue to work out your salvation and you'll truly know if you're one of my sheep, if at the very end of your life, your faith is deeper than it has ever been before through the pain, through the suffering, through all the experiences of life. Faith that is true is faith that will last. The most difficult times. There's a theological saying, an idea for this, a way to explain this. It's called perseverance of the saints. I want you to look up here for a moment and I want to give you a definition. And if you're writing, you can write this down. The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. Let me say that in another way. If God has truly given you faith, then that faith will work itself out in your life in what's called obedience. Romans chapter 1 verse 5 says that it's the obedience that comes from faith that causes the Christian life to become more like an alien, like a person that walks around in this world, not like other people. If you have faith like that in your life, then it will change you from the inside out. And that faith will continue to change you to the very end of your life. When you're lying on your deathbed, whenever that may be, you will say, Jesus is more precious to me than He has ever been before. That's real faith. Now, as you examine this, what I'm also saying is that if you say that you have a faith experience, you say you accept Christ, you begin to go to church, and then a year later, you completely fall off the map. Forty years later, you're lying on your deathbed, and you look back to 40 years before, your life had not changed at all. You continue to do your thing after you stop going to church. You live the way that you wanted to live, but then you look back 40 years before, and you say, at least I walked the aisle. At least I said, Jesus, come into my life. That is not faith that perseveres to the end. And I would say that there is a deep, deep question that needs to be asked. Did you have real faith or was it just a placebo? Was it just a facade? Was it just a feeling that you were experiencing before you walked away? That's why at Matthias Lot, we don't say once saved, always saved. You'll never hear, never hear us say that. While that may be true, we say if saved, always saved. If God has truly called you, if he's truly saved you, then your faith will endure to the very end of your life. It'll never stop. You'll have highs. You'll have lows. You'll have times where you're struggling. But that faith will always bring you back. Always. There's a couple passages that I want to turn your attention to to be able to see this worked out, to be fleshed out. Luke chapter 8, verse 15. As Jesus is speaking about the soils, and he's talking about soil that's rocky and soil that does not take the seed, he says this, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart 
who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. The life of the believer, the good soil where faith is received, is known because of this word, persevering. It continues to produce a crop. There's another passage I want you to see. John chapter 8, verse 31. As Jesus is speaking to the Jews, he says this. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. I wonder if there's many of us in here that have said, I'm a follower of Christ, but if you and I were to get really, really honest, if I was to be able to see all of your life, could it possibly be that you made a statement but there has been no faith in your life that has been springing forth obedience as a follower of Jesus. What I am not saying here is that you have to work really, really hard all of your life by being in the church choir, by being on the greeting team, by helping people park, by going to the nursing home, to the very end of your life, and then you'll be able to work for your salvation. That is the exact opposite of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when God gives you faith, you receive it, you have faith in Him, you trust Him, and He works out obedience in your life through the faith that He's given you. We can do no works to earn our salvation. Hear me right now. You can do nothing to earn it. It is given to you by God through faith in Jesus Christ as He has come and as He has paid punishment for your sin on the cross. God gives you faith, something that you don't earn, so that your sins can be forgiven, and so you can have a relationship with God. God does the work, you get to enjoy Him, and through your enjoyment, you serve Him forever. It's a good deal. Faith changes us, and it will continue to the end if it's real. Last part of this text that I want you guys to see today. Verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in, the, in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against its people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now Jesus moves here from verses 8 to 18. He has been describing the signs that are going to be coming before the end. So the disciples will know what's going to be happening before the destruction will finally take place. Now he turns his attention in the rest of these verses, verse uh, 19 all the way to verse 24, and he begins to describe the picture. He's describing the image of what it's going to look like when Jerusalem finally comes under the final battle. He says there is going to be an army that is completely surrounded Jerusalem that's completely surrounded the temple. In those days, disciples, when it finally happens, 
Let no one who is in the city stay in the city. They need to get out. Let everybody that's in the countryside stay in the country. And then Jesus says something that should just shake us to the core. He says, for pregnant women and for nursing mothers, it is going to be the absolute worst. Now why would Jesus make a statement like that? Why would here he pick out the most vulnerable people in our culture, pregnant women and nursing mothers? Because Jesus is letting the disciples know that the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming is going to be complete. The destruction that is coming is going to be desolation. It is going to be horrific. The worst that they could ever imagine. So much that even pregnant women and nursing mothers will not be safe under the Romans when they come in and when they take control. Josephus, the historian, again tells us that whenever the Romans finally took control of Jerusalem, that 1,100,000 Jews were killed. 97,000 people were taken captive. The destruction was complete. Now, even when you hear that, the questions in your mind have to be wrestling. How could a loving God, how could a God that really cares about his creation allow for people like that to receive wrath? That word is in this text. Wrath from God. Punishment. Is that truly a loving God? I believe that there's two major reasons why we see God punishing Jerusalem why he allowed Rome to come in and to do what it did to his people. The first reason is this. The Jews had rejected Christ. Jesus came, the Messiah. They reject Christ. They reject the gospel. As we saw in Luke chapter 20, Jesus says, punishment is coming because you won't accept me. So God punishes the Jews because they reject Jesus. The second big reason that I think that we see this happening in Scripture is because in God's sovereign plan, He had ordained this very moment for Jerusalem. Why would He do that? Here's why. Because in the days that were coming, when Jerusalem was destroyed, it would be what would start the movement of the gospel to the Gentiles. Friends, God had this very moment of destruction in mind so that the gospel could be preached to you and I and to all the nations because the Jews had rejected Jesus. That's good news for us. As we close up here, I think what's most on my heart through this text is for this thing that you would understand. We serve a God that is loving. We serve a God who created this earth and cares about people so much that he would send his son to die a horrific death on the cross so that sinful, depraved, nasty people like you and I would accept him as savior of our life 
And so we would be restored with our Creator and we could spend an eternity with Him. Do you believe that that's a loving God? We also, believe, we also serve a God. We know a God that's just. And when people reject Him, punishment ensues. For Jerusalem, that punishment was fire. That punishment was death. But hear me now. For the world that does not accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, there is a wrath coming. There's a punishment coming. And friends, that punishment will be worse than any wrath that Jerusalem has experienced. And let me tell you why. Because that punishment is eternal. That punishment lasts forever. If you are here tonight and you are not a sheep, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, could you understand, possibly for the first time, that wrath is coming to you if you will hear the gospel coming out of my mouth, if you will hear God speaking over you and you'll walk out of this room and you'll reject Him, as maybe you've done many times, because you won't receive the gift that He's given through Christ the final passage that I want you to look at. This is in Matthew. Jesus is, God is here and he's separating the sheep from the goats. And scripture tells us that he puts the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And what is coming to people that aren't sheep, what is coming to those that don't accept Christ is this. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I'm not standing before you tonight pleading for you because I'm like trying to convince you and to manipulate you with this scary hell idea. I am sitting before you with a heart that is full of love and compassion for you through the power of the gospel saying that hell is real. Hell is true. Hell is something that you should fear. If you don't know God, this text is saying, if you believe that the Bible is true, you will be rejected from God. You will be eternally separated from Him. And if that's not enough, if it's not enough to be in the presence of God forever, it is going to be eternal. A place that has been prepared for the devil and for angels. Don't be like Jerusalem. Don't receive the punishment that is going to be brought for those who will not receive Christ. If you're here tonight and you've got fear in your life, is it possible that you're afraid because you've not been given faith and you don't understand that your soul is not going to perish so in this life you can trust that no matter what happens, there's something better to come. If you're here tonight and you are doubting your relationship with God because your life has not bore fruit, tonight as we worship, as these guys come on up right now, could you just pray that God would speak to your heart and if you don't know Him, could the veil be removed and the scales drop away so you could see God for the first time and so you could know Him as Savior and Lord of your life? Let's pray together. Father, I pray, God, tonight that if there are people that are sitting in this room right now 
that have not begun a relationship with you. Father, that hell is not a scare tactic, but it's a real place. Father, I pray that they would see the ensuing wrath that is going to come because of the sin that is so prevalent in their life. God, I pray that they would turn away from sin, that they would receive faith for the first time, and that they would follow you. God, I pray tonight that you would give faith to those who don't know you tonight. God, we plead that you would save people tonight. And God, we pray that Matthias Lot would be a church that does not fear this life, does not fear persecution, does not fear any of the struggles that we'll face because we know that a loving God has given us a promise that we won't perish. In Jesus' name, amen.